Good job. My favorite part of that song is when Randy goes, you I just like that. You do that really well. You're, you're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, hey I got to be honest with you. I, I've never been a big fan of the Beatles. I know. I pray for me. But, and I've never been a big John Lennon fan. And I, I don't even like that song that the band just did. Uh, imagine. I mean, they did a great job on it. But, but even, here's the thing about that song. Even though I've sung it for years, months can go by. Years can go by without me hearing that song. And then it'll come on the radio or something like that. And boom, all the words come right back to me. And I start singing along. Anybody else? All right. I heard all the S's as you sang along with it just a minute ago, right? And here's the thing. It's the words of that song that I, that I dislike the most. I, I had the biggest problem with I mean, look, look, look at these words, all right? Imagine there's no heaven. Well, that's just off to a bad start for me right there. You know, because I kind of build a career on that, right? Right? So, imagine, <laughs> just being honest, anyway, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And I, you know, I, I read those lyrics or I hear those lyrics sung and as a God-fearing, Bible-believing Christian, here's where I go. You can imagine all you want, but there is a heaven. And I'm sorry to tell you this, there is a hell. And if people just keep on living for today, well, a lot of people seem to be doing and nothing's going to get done. And there's a high probability that tomorrow is going to come and you're not going to be ready for it. You're going to end up on my doorstep asking for a handout because you didn't think about that, did you, you hippie, right? That's where I go. That's just where I go, all right? So I told, I'm not a good person. I told you that earlier, all right, right? But the song just keeps going, all right? Just keeps going, all right? Imagine there's no countries. It's, it's, it's hard to do. Nothing to kill or, or die for. No religion, too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer. <laughs> But I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. And the world will be as one. And the song goes on. Imagine no greed and no hunger. Imagine if we all got along as one big happy family. And nobody's saying, that's mine and you can't have any of it. And honestly, that, that sounds nice. It really does sound nice. But my reaction to that song is somewhere between everybody owns and shares everything. That sounds a little bit like communism, which historically has never worked well, right? And all the way over to visualize world peace. And everybody hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And I'd like to buy the world of Coke. And all that, but you know, here's a, you, you, I've had a lot of caffeine, right? But you can, it makes a great song and it's a great thought and stuff like that. But there's part of me just goes, it's just never going to happen. And you look at that. Well, that's a downer. You're a cynic, a pessimist, Eeyore, whatever you want to call me, right? But, but, but just something inside me just knows world peace is just not going to happen. Now, now hang on to that. I don't want to, I don't want to get stuck there, but think about this again. If we're, but if we're honest, whenever we hear somebody say something like, or sing something like, can you imagine and then they begin to start painting a picture or describing something that isn't currently happening in the world or isn't currently happening in my life. But if it were to happen, my life would be so much better. The world would be so much better. Isn't it true when we hear people say stuff like that for an instant, maybe just like half an instant, something within you goes, that would be nice. That would be great if the world could be like that. That, that, that would be just awesome. I, I wish, I hope, I imagine that would be just great. And then, then you kind of blink your eyes and shake your heads and you come back to reality and go, that's just not going to happen. But for a fleeting moment, you did. Right? You imagined and you thought, I wish the world could be like that. I wish my life could be like that. I, I, that it really could happen. Now, now hold, hold on to that thought, okay? Why is it that hey, at Christmas, especially December, all right? Even though you maybe you haven't been to church in a long, long, long time. But, but why is it? You know, again, you haven't thought about Jesus since last Christmas. But, but why is it that as you drive around town over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see a manger scene in somebody's front yard. You're going to get a card in the mail. It has a star on it or maybe something, you know, uh, Christmas in. And you're going to feel something. And even if you, you, you get that card or whatever and you see that manger scene, there's something inside of you that goes, I don't even, I'm not even sure that really happened. I don't, I don't even believe that actually happened. But something inside of you will well up and go, but it'd be cool if it did. I, I wish, I, I, I hope it's true. 
Well, why is it that at this time of the year, we don't do this for the rest of the year, but in December, why is it we tell our stories, our children's stories of, of an imaginary fat guy who lives at the North Pole and he and his elves make toys all year long and deliver them in one night in a magic sleigh pulled by flying reindeer to all the children of the world? Where does that come from? Right? Why is it? How about this? Why is it the top selling books of probably the last 30 years, the top grossing movies of all time, they're all about the same thing. Castles and ships and dragons and good and evil at war. Of princesses being rescued by brave knights and soldiers. Of princes becoming kings and finally sitting on the thrones that they were born to sit on. And why, why is it in almost every story like that, when it looks like there's no escape, no, window, no way to survive the battle, let alone win the war, somebody in the middle of that chaos and that mess stands up and says something like, time out. I know it looks bad, even impossible, but imagine what life could be if. Uh, I just want to fight someone right now. I'll, I'll fight you, right? <laughs> Some of you are the first time here going, this is the best church ever. You know? <laughs> Last night someone said, just play the rest of the movie and sit down. No, no. But what? <laughs> nice try. Anyway, that was my mom too. So anyway, so there. There's just something within a person's heart that hears someone like William Wallace cast a vision and cause an overwhelmed people to take their eyes off what currently is happening in the world and begin to imagine what could be if, if they were willing to let go of, of what is, of, of the status quo, all right, uh, of the, or this is what ordinarily happens. Let go of that and, and risk everything. Take a step of faith towards something else, something better, something great. And we, we hear stories like that, or we're going to sit in movie theaters over the next month, and, and we're going we're gonna to see storylines and see that, that unfold. And we're going to sit in the, those theaters, and we're going to think to ourselves, if that could happen for them, I wonder if it could happen for me. That, that's what we do. Maybe, maybe, if, maybe that could happen for me. Then maybe I could hold on a little bit longer in my life, too. You know, whoa, wait a minute, Jim. Are, are you lumping Jesus and Santa Claus and Braveheart and Lord of the Rings and Hobbit into one big category of think happy thoughts, self-medicating, imaginary, delusional thoughts that we tell ourselves just to make it through a hard life? No, not at all. Not, not at all. So here's what I want to throw out in, in this series over the next month, all right? Imagine this. Imagine this, all right? Go with it, all right? What if, it's a big what if, but what if we really are created in the image of a very creative God? Like the Bible claims that we are. And what if, as part of his image, etched into our soul, is this awareness of, and therefore a longing for, something else? Something more, something other, something better than this. Because get this, even though we can't see it or understand it, we are aware of it. We are aware of it, you know? And the Bible backs me up on that. Listen to what a guy named Paul writes about this very thing, about there's something else going on that we don't understand. He says this, he says, when I was a child... I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. There's nothing wrong with that because you're a child, right? When I became a man, so when I grew up, all right, I gave up childish ways. That's the metaphor. Now, this is the explanation. For now, like in this life, we see in a mirror dimly, but then someday face to face. Now I know in part what's going on in my life. Then someday I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What's that mean? It means this. Right now, we are only partially aware of what's happening in the physical realm, but let alone the spiritual realm, past, present, and future. And so like children, we try to figure it out. We try to fill in the blanks with our own limited reasoning and imaginations and conclusions. Like, it must be like that. And we can only get partway there because we don't fully understand. And Paul says it's kind of like looking at life, like looking through a dirty window or a dirty, dirty, dirty mirror. We kind of see what's going on, but only partially. But the Bible teaches us that a day is coming when we shall fully see and know the truth. 
And we see this pattern all the way through the Bible of, I kind of understand, and then over time, God reveals it more and more, and we then eventually we fully understand. And I'll give you probably the, the biggest theme of this running through the Bible. In the book of Isaiah, all right, which is written about 700 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet named Isaiah, and he speaks of this, this time when the world is going to be very, very dark and oppressed, where people are going to be very, very, very put down. All right? and, and Isaiah writes this to those people. He says, listen, a day is coming when it's really life is going to be very hard. But hang on, don't give up because a day is coming when God is going to put things right. And then he begins to paint this picture of what will be. He says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You, talking about God, God has multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, God, have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior of battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And Isaiah is saying, when life is really, 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 really hard, God is about to do something. A war is going to take place. And here's what to be looking for when all this is going to start happening. Very, very famous words. For to us, a child is born. Be looking for this. For us, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And even though you don't understand all those Jewish historical references, you get the picture. When all hope is gone, Isaiah is saying, when you're about to give up and you think God has given up on you, God is going to send someone. He's going to send a child, his one and only son, and that son will establish a kingdom and he'll sit on the throne of that kingdom and he will make things right. Not for a little while, but forever. And I'm sure that the oppressed people that heard Isaiah say that or read his words over the next several years read that and they thought to themselves, finally, God's going to help us. Finally, in my, my really, really, really hard life, God is going to ride in and he's going to rescue me from that. And they could only kind of imagine it. They couldn't get all the way there. But the thing is, it got really confusing because for hundreds of years, things, went by, things happened and it got worse and worse and worse. And it didn't look like God was going to help anybody. They were, another country came in, conquered them. They were taken off and they were made into slaves. Then in the middle of that slavery in the book of Daniel, written about 500, mile, 500 years before Jesus was born. And Daniel's that story where the lion's den and the guys get thrown in the fiery furnace, all that. But in, in Daniel chapter 2, there's another great story in there. The king has a dream about this big statue made out of all these different kinds of metals and things like that. And it just gets crushed. And so he calls Daniel and says, Daniel, what does that dream mean? And Daniel says, all these kingdoms are going to pass away, but God is going to establish a new kingdom someday, an eternal one. And God himself is going to be the king of that kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar's response was, truly your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And again, I'm sure when people heard Daniel say that or read his words, they, they thought or they believed or they imagined, finally God's going to rescue us from our problems. Things are going to get better, I'm sure, because, because of what Daniel said about God. But another 500 years go by and things get even worse in their lives. They were free from that slavery. They go back to Israel and then the Roman Empire rides in and conquers everything in sight. Exploits taxes from the poor, rapes women, murders children, nails any man who gets in their way along the crosses that line the roads of every street in Israel. And into this great darkness, in a time when people had just given up hope on God, let alone him coming and helping them do anything. In the middle of that mess, a messenger from God comes to a young woman whose name was Mary. And he told her this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee, that's a part of Israel, named Nazareth. That's a town. 
to a virgin betrothed or engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there'll be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And it happened, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem the first Christmas. And 30 years later, Jesus is walking down a river where a man named John is preaching and baptizing people. And here's what he's he's preaching. He's saying, repent, which means change your mind. You're living your life this way. Turn your life back towards God. And here's why that's so important. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's almost here. God is about to set in motion some some events. God is about to send his deliverer who will set things right. It's the one that Isaiah talked about and Daniel talked about. This is the one that God has sent. It's his Christ, his rescuer, his son, his king. Follow him. And John looks up and goes, that's him. That's the one. For the next three years, Jesus walks around Israel teaching, this is what it looks like. This is what it likes to be connected to God, no matter how many mistakes you've made in your life. This is what it means to have God live inside of you, to be full of God. This is what it looks to, to be part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like. If you've been around Flatirons for the last 18 months, we have slowly been working our way through all those teachings and pictures that Jesus has been painting about. This is what it really means. This is what it looks like to live with Jesus as the focus of your life, the center of your life, being the king of your life, being part of his kingdom. He talked about that more than any other subject. But but here's the problem. When when Jesus would start talking about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's the same thing. He was talking to people whose lives were so hard. They've been so oppressed, so many bad things that happened to them, that they kind of got parked on the idea that if God sends a king, we want him to be a strong king, a mighty king, like a military king, to raise a big army with a big sword, maybe invent nuclear weapons. That'd be a good time right there, right? That's what we're looking for. I made that part up. Anyway, but anyway, right? But that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a God to come in and fix all of our physical problems. So that was one group. They heard it through that lens. Another group heard Jesus talk about the kingdom and their lives were so sad and so hard. They wouldn't even allow themselves to think about life could ever be different, let alone better. You know what that's like. You've had people come to you and go, no, no, wait, it's going to get better. And you just, in the back of your mind, you're going, don't even get your hopes up. Nothing's ever going to change, at least for someone like me. Or in the words of Paul, they just couldn't quite imagine. It was like a child trying to figure out what was going on, what God was going to do. But it's like looking through a dirty window and they could only see part of the story. We don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus. So many times when Jesus was talking about the kingdom, he would compare it to things that people already knew something about. And that's all those stories and parables that we've been studying through over the last several months so they could see a little clearer. All right? When he talked about the kingdom, he'd say stuff like this. So my, my kingdom is kind of like, well, imagine this. Imagine a treasure hidden in a field. It's kind of like that. Or imagine uh, a net thrown out into the ocean and it gathers in fish of every kind from all parts of the sea. My kingdom's kind of like that. Imagine a farmer going out to sow some some seeds. Imagine a a, a king throwing a great wedding feast for his son. My kingdom is kind of like that. People listen to him and go, I kind of understand. But every once in a while, Jesus would get right to the point and go, you want to know what my kingdom is like? It's exactly like this. And he'd start describing it. And people, at least some people, especially people who had really, really, really hard lives, really exhausted people. I'm on my last leg. I'm about this close to quitting and giving up. They would hear this kingdom 
There's this place, this time that Jesus would describe and their hearts would start beating a little bit different as they imagined, could I live in a kingdom like that where Jesus is my king and he runs everything? And they would think and they'd say to themselves, if there's the slightest chance that that's true, if there's any possibility, the slightest bit of hope that what Jesus said might be true, then I'm going to hang on another day. I can keep going a little bit more. And then this Imagine series, today's really just kind of the, 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 the introduction to this series. It's going to, we're going to go all month on this. But I want to look at one of those times when Jesus says, this is what it looks like. It's something that Jesus said that, that I would bet that most of you haven't just heard the, these words. Most of you haven't just quoted them. I'd say most of you have, but I don't want to stop there. I would say that most of you, even if you haven't thought about what, what we're going to look at Jesus say today, it might be decades. It's going to be like turning on the radio and an old song coming on. You're going, I know that song. You're going to start singing along with me in just a minute, right? Because you haven't memorized. You just forgot you did. Let's look at it. We're going to look at Luke chapter 11, and we're going to hear this description of this is what it looks like. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his, his disciples. Now, let me explain this, all right? The, the job of a disciple is not just to take notes and kind of memorize the information. It's more than a student. The, the goal of a disciple was to follow their rabbi around, follow their, their, their teacher around, maybe for years, all right? Watch everything he does, everything he doesn't do, and how he does and doesn't do them, all right? And the goal is, I want to be you someday. I want to be like you. I want to think like you, talk like you. I want to be just like you. So somebody, it doesn't tell us which, which one of the guys it was, but somebody made a just, uh, just made a great request. Here's, here's what they said to Jesus. Excuse me, Jesus. Um, I've been watching you. I don't know if you knew I was watching you, which you did. But anyway, all right, you, you have something that I don't have. You can do something that I can't do, and I want it. I want it in my own life. I want to do what you do. And here's what I'm talking about. See, when you pray... And we've been eavesdropping on your prayers, Jesus, just so you know. But, but, but when you pray, it's not, I don't know, it's not normal the way you pray. You don't pray like nor- normal people. I mean, when you pray, it's like different. It, it's, like, it's like better. When you talk to God, it's different than anybody else I've ever heard talk to God. I want to be able to pray. I want to be able to talk to God like you do. Jesus, will you teach me to pray like you pray? Here's the response to this. And he, Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and here we go, our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Now, let's just stop right there, right? Because I'll bet, and I don't know how it worked. I, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says, close your eyes when you pray. Did you know that? Uh, your grandma made that up. She was good intentions, but it's not in the Bible, right? But I don't know how it worked. Maybe Jesus said, all right, gather around, let's hold hands, everybody bow their heads and close their eyes, right? And then he goes, our Father. And I bet at that moment, all like 12 heads went, what? They all peek, and we all peek in prayer sometimes. We just admit it, all right, right? But I think they all popped in like, what, what did he just say? Because what he didn't say was the Father, the father of the universe, the father of Israel, the father of creation, which is all the titles that they'd always referred to God. They, they'd grown up saying, that's how you pray. That's how the rabbi prays. That's how the priest prays, the father. So when you pray, you better call him the father. But, but Jesus didn't pray like that. Look at that. He, he actually used a personal pronoun for all you English teachers out there, right? right? The, the way the son would walk into a room, see his dad and go, that's my dad. That's my dad. Same way, good morning, dad. It's the same greeting. Which is, I don't know, I don't know. If you grew up religious, that's just weird, right? I mean, I mean, God is the father of the universe. And, but, but Jesus, you just, you, just made him, you just made God, I don't know, personal. And the religious system I grew up in, that's, that's weird, right? I mean, you made him like intimate, like we're close. You made it almost sound like God likes me. I mean, I know God loves me. He loves everybody. I think it's one of the requirements to be God. You have to love everybody. But, but, but you made it sound like... God wants me around. 
And then Jesus confuses him even more and goes, hallowed or holy is your name. And that word holy means this, set apart from everybody else. So he's in a different category, different than anybody else, better than anybody else, higher than everything else. He's totally pure, absolutely clean. He's perfect. And here's why they're in that little prayer circle, all confused, picking up like, what did he just say? Because this is what Jesus is suggesting, like with confidence. When you pray, pray this way. God, the holy, all-powerful ruler of the universe, who is totally holy and higher above every living thing, is okay with being approached like, yeah, that's my dad. And that, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, that can't, be, that can't be right. That can't be true. I mean, right? I mean, God is good. I am not. Anybody else? Like 11 of us. That's just all right, right, right? I, let's try this again. God is good. I screwed up my life. Anybody else? Thank you. Mass confession. You're forgiven. Right? There you are. Right? But this is true. See, I mean, all my life, this is how I've grown up. The priest, the rabbi, whatever, my mom, my grandma, whatever, my own conscience has told me that if there is a God, he's really mad at me. Or he's very disappointed in me. And he looks at me like, really? Right? right? And so, so I, there's just no way that God wants to be my father. I mean, this, this isn't even, it's not even reasonable. I mean, God is holy. I am not holy. You write a job, you know, here's a description of Jim. Holy's not even going to be on your list, all right? God is king of the universe. He runs everything. I can't even balance my checkbook, all right? So this idea of God, holy is your name, run the whole universe, being interested in anything going on in my little meager life, let alone anything that I might have to say to him, let alone being okay with me calling him, he's my father. Well, that just sounds, when you say it out loud, it just really sounds... Impossible? It really does. It, it just doesn't even seem logical that God would really... Right, right? But, but let's go back to this. Imagine if it was true. Imagine if that was, that's true. And Jesus is actually saying, it's true. That's how God sees you, all right? Then if that's true, then maybe some other things in the Bible are true and possible as well. Like, like, look, look at this. This is my favorite verses. Let us then, if God really is inviting us to come close to him, all right? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. That's God. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Imagine, what if you could do that? What if that's true? What if it's really, really possible that in your greatest time of need or fear or pain or panic or whatever it is that you're going through in that moment, not only you can, can you go to God, but he actually says, like a good father, I want you to. I want you to bring me all your stuff. Nothing's too small. Nothing's too big. Bring me all your stuff. God is inviting us to say, just talk to me. And that's really hard for me to get to because he's important. And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not... That, here, here's the greatest, the closest thing I, I can get to. Imagine this, all right? Imagine if you wanted to meet the president of the United States, okay? If you don't like this one, pick another one, all right? But, all right, but, but imagine, all right, that you want to meet with the president. First of all, let me just tell you, you probably can't. You're just not that important, all right? All right? But, but, but if you could, all right, um, think, think about what you'd have to go through to get to the Oval Office, Right? I mean, there would be security checks and guards and, and secret service agents. And then you'd have to make an appointment. How, how do you even do that? And then you'd have to wait for months and months and months. Everybody has to do that unless, unless the president's your dad. And then you, you're, I, 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 I heard this. You just walk right in. Hey, dad. You can walk by all the guards and walk right by. Nobody else in the whole planet. There are two little girls in Washington, D.C. They can just breeze by everybody and go, I'm going to see my dad. And he, and he goes, come on in. Nobody else on the planet is allowed to do that. So, whoa, whoa time out. You're, you're saying, Jesus, that God not only is open to the idea of me coming to him like a little kid runs to his dad, but he actually wants me to do that, invites me to do that. Which, again, I think it would be really, really cool. I wasn't there, but that's how I imagine it. They're in a prayer, prayer circle, and as Jesus kind of reads all their minds around there, I think he looks up and goes, yeah. 
That's the whole point of prayer. The whole point of prayer is God's going, talk to me. Come near. Come up here and tell me what's going on. I know what's going on in your life. I just want you to come and talk to me because I care about you. And again, I'll bet some of the guys there that are listening to Jesus say this have the same response as some of us have. It's really hard for me to believe that God really cares about what's going on in my life. I mean, given the state of the world and the universe like that, that he would even lean my direction, hear what I care to hear what I have to say. It's hard to believe, isn't it? And my response to that would be, then, then don't believe it. Don't believe it. But it is what Jesus taught. It, that is exactly what he said. And here's the thing is, imagine if he's telling the truth. What if he really is telling the truth that that's how God says, looks at you and goes, come here. Come here and talk to me. Would that change anything for you? Let's keep going. All right. There's still Jesus talking. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Matthew has that last part in, in there, but, but with or without it, your kingdom come means your will be done on earth as it is in, in heaven. And again, Jesus goes to this imagery of God has, has a kingdom which arrived with the birth of Jesus. All right? It, he, the kingdom, it's not someday, you know, someday, a thousand years from now, God's going to start a kingdom. No. Jesus is saying the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. I'm here, all right? And with my arrival, I'm setting some things in motion that eventually will make all things new. The kingdom, my kingdom, has come. See, there was a day. You've got to go way back to the first two or three chapters of the Bible to, to even see this. But there was a day when God's will on earth and God's will in heaven were the same thing. There was no difference. Here's what God says is right and true, and here's what I want to happen, and here's what's happening on the earth. And they were the same thing. Which God looked at and goes, that's good. That is very good. And then something happened. And again, you have to go back to chapter 2 on this, but of the whole Bible. But man, man looked back at God and said, not your will be done. My will be done. And we told God, I'm going to run my own life. And here's where some of us go in, all right, in, in this room. It's, it's happened every service so far. Some of us go, go oh, time out. Uh, you're talking about that Adam and Eve thing, right? That Garden of Eden creation story, right? And I don't believe that stuff. I, don't, I just don't see how a logical, smart person can believe in creation when obviously science has proven that evolution just can't blah, 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 whatever. Okay, so time out. Take a breath, right? I, I don't mean to disrespect anybody's belief system or lack of belief system, all right, and how this world got started. But let's, could we just be really honest about something? The reason that, that, that some of us refuse to believe that Jesus is who he is and claimed claim to be and able to do what he claims to be able to do is not because you're hung up on evolution. Your roadblock is not carbon dating or whether a big bang did or didn't happen. All right. I, I think that's a, that's an excuse. See, see, I don't understand it. I don't understand all that, explain all the hows and whys of creation versus evolution. If you come up to me in the lobby later and go, can you, can you explain how evolution and creation? I'll look back and go, nope. Nope, I don't know. I have no idea, all right? As a matter of when I see God, I'm, I'm going to ask him, could you explain the whole first couple chapters, all right? Because it's really crazy stuff happening, right, right, right? And you know, I think this, again, this is my imagination, but, and I'm on meds, but anyway, but here, I, I, this is how I picture it's going to happen. He's going to look back at me and go, roll the tape. And he's going to roll the tape for the first six days, and I'm going to go, oh, I didn't think of that. And he's going to roll his eyes and go, it's because I'm God. But anyway, that's, <laughs> he's so patient with me. But anyway, but, but, but here's the thing, all right? Think about this. Think, think about this. Imagine this, whatever, right? And some of this is going to have to be really, really hypothetical because we just can't get there. But if there really is a God, all right? And this is a stretch for some of us. But if there really is a God, and God really is almighty, can do anything, infinite God, he could have created everything any way that he chose to do it, right? If he really is God, including the way it's described in the Bible. 
So I'm okay with that. But, but even if you can't get there today, oh, okay. But, but again, let's be honest, all right? Doesn't, take, take the Bible story and set it over here. But doesn't not God's will for my life, but my will be done in my life. Describe how big parts of your life, big chunks of your life got messed up and fell apart. Right? That's a lot of our stories in here, whether you believe the first three chapters of the Bible or, or not. I knew, I knew what God's will was. I knew what God's plan was. I knew what God's truth was for my life. I knew what God wanted me to do in my marriage. I knew what God wanted me to do with my parents or with my kids. I knew what God's truth was for my sexual decisions, for my choices. I knew how God wanted me to point my money here or there. I knew what God's will was for my life. I looked back at God and went, thanks, but no thanks. But out of my life, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do. Right? My will for my life is better than and different than God's plan for my life. So my will be done. My will be done on earth and in my life as it is in my own heart and by my emotions and by my own conclusions and, and feelings. And again, set the Bible story aside, but just like that Bible story, things fell apart in our world. Doesn't that describe a lot? You see, and Jesus, he has every right to throw stones and go, I told you so, all right? But he doesn't do that. Jesus comes along and says, okay, okay, that happened. But this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what your life could look like if you stepped into the kingdom of of God. This is what life looks like. And it looks like this. My father, God, whatever you want for my life, that's what I want for my life. In other words, some some people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, we want to be connected to God. We want to be able to talk to God like the way you do. We want to approach God the way you do. And Jesus says, okay, when you approach God, go like this. God, you are my father. You're my father, right? I know you're a father of everything, but you're my personal father. You, you're so holy and you're so good. And because of that, I know that I can trust you with all the parts of my crazy dysfunction. So here's what I'm hoping for. If you're really good and I can trust you, here's what I'm imagining. A day when my life is described this way. Your kingdom is my kingdom. Your life is my life. Your will becomes my will. What you want to happen in my life becomes the thing that I want to happen in my life. The things that you love and care about and is going on in the world become the things that I love and care about. And you see what Jesus is doing when he does that? He's painting a picture to some guys who are overwhelmed because their lives are so hard. And they don't even know how hard their lives are going to be. But Jesus does. In a few weeks and months, everything's going to fall apart. Right? Their lives, for the rest of their lives, they're going to be hunted. Most of them are going to be executed, either beheaded, you know, crucified, you know, imprisoned, whatever that is. And they don't know what's coming. All they know is what they see and feel right now. And what Jesus is saying, file this away. Imagine this, because you're going to have to, it's the only thing that's going to get you through what's coming. A day, a day is coming when everything will be all right. It's not today and it's not tomorrow, but there is a day coming when, when things will be put right. When, and again, you can't fully understand it. But a day is coming when things are going to be the way they're supposed to be, finally. And what, what is that? What does that look like? When what God wills and what God says is true and what he wants to happen will be done on earth. And we'll look back at God and go, that's what we want too. And get this, all right? It gets better. Not only is God doing what he wants to do in our lives and we are cooperating well with him, it gets even better. Because someday all the fallout and all the consequences of my will, not God's will... It's called sin, right? People, other people's sin that has contaminated my life and my sin is, that's hurt other people. A day is coming when that's all going to be gone. It'll pass away. It'll be done. So well, what, what do you mean? Where are you going with this? Think about this. Think, think about this, all right? Why is it? Again, you might have thought about God for months, you know, or whatever, been in church in years, right? But why is it that in our most desperate times in our life, most painful times, it's not times like... Funerals and suffering and sickness and heartbreak and sadness and depression and injustice. The place that the followers of Jesus have run to for thousands of years are to the words of Jesus when he describes and helps us picture and imagine that a day is coming when all this sin-contaminated 
fall out of this world will be gone. Why is it we run to that picture of it is done and been replaced with something better? And he paints a picture of, of, of a new kingdom where, where heaven and hell have actually passed away. They're gone. Along with all the things that are ruining your life right now. War, selfishness, sickness, death, cancer, car wrecks, lying, betrayal, divorce. On and on and on. They're all gone. They've passed away. John Lennon got partly right. He got partly there, right? And when we hear Jesus describe the kingdom, something changes inside of us. And I'll prove it. I'll prove it, right? Here's what I want to do to close today. Get out here a little bit early. Because there's a Bronco game. All right, so uh, Jesus and Broncos. There there we go. So anyway, right? Here's what I mean by that. Um, we're going to do something. And if you're a visitor here or you haven't been here very often, all right, um, I just want you to know that we don't normally do this. So next week we're not going to do this. But, and don't feel obligated. But we're going to have a little bit of audience participation in this. And again, you don't have to do this. But, but here's what I, what I mean. See, see Christmas is, is coming. It's, hard, it's crazy. Isn't it? But Christmas is on the way. And for some of us in this room, we're like, yeah, I can't wait for Christmas. I love Christmas. I love everything about it. And that's good, good for you, all right? But the, for some of the rest of us, Christmas brings up some very different things. Right? Because it's just been a really hard year or two. Or ten. So here's what I want to do. If in the last year or two, the last season that, that, you've, that you've experienced, you have suffered a big loss. Someone that you love, especially because they died. And Christmas just reminds you, I just really miss them. Well, if you have been, you're in a season of your life right now where honestly... You're sitting here going, I just don't know how long I can do this. I don't know how long I can stay with him much longer. I don't know how I can be with them. I just don't know how long I even want to be alive. I just don't know. If you're, if you're sitting here tonight and today, I'm just tired. I'm scared. I'm exhausted. I'm confused. I'm angry. I'm insecure. I'm bitter. I'm sad. If you're facing a major battle, you know it's coming in your life. If any of those words or scenarios describe what you're going through right now or have in, in the recent past, all right, will you raise your hand up? Will you raise your hand up? Look around the room. Because a lot of times when we're in seasons like this, we go, I think I'm the only one. We're not. We're not alone in that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to close our service. I'm going to read a description of a kingdom that is on its way. A kingdom that is here imperfectly, but eventually will be made right. And it it was written to some people who were in some of the same scenarios and going through some of the same words that I just listed that some of us are going through. And Jesus gives this description to us to give us hope. And I'm going to read these words right out of Revelation chapter 21. And then, then I'm going to pray for all those of us who, who just raised our hand. And then, then Randy, this is crazy. So, I, so Thursday I go to Randy going, hey, Randy, I got this idea. And here's where I want to go. See what you can do with this. And so Friday he calls me, hey, I wrote a song. <laughs> who does that? All right, all right, all right. And it's my, it's my favorite song now. And it's going to become one of your favorite songs. But, but he stole the words from Jesus. So I'm not even going to give him full credit. But anyway, um, <laughs> that's all right. Anyway, um, Yoo-hoo. There you go, right? That. <laughs> so I'm going to read these words, and then Randy's going to lead us, in this, and we're just going to stand and worship in this song. And then uh, I'm going to come back up here, and I'm going to pray. And if something stirs up in you today and you want to talk to somebody, there's going to be a prayer team down in front. But then at the end of the, the, the prayer, we're going to walk out of here as people who have hope. Maybe that's why God drug you in here today, to be reminded that this is not all there is. And what's going on in your life is not all there is. There is something better. We only partially understand it, but eventually we will. And because of that, we can hold on. Revelation 21. says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, Jesus said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, the one who holds on, will have this heritage, and I'll be his God, and he'll be my son. Let's pray. God, uh, Christmas is on its way, and again, some of us in this room, we just can't wait for that. We can't wait, but the, the truth is, there's some of us are going, ah, oh, Christmas is on its way, and it's just, it just reminds us of things that we don't have, and people that aren't here, and the loneliness we feel and, and the, the emptiness in certain parts of our life. And we just got to get through this month and then hopefully January, if we make it, we'll be better. And, and God, we read and we hear Jesus say that someday everything's going to be great and someday there will be no more cancer or car wrecks or adultery or divorce or betrayal or lying and all the things that have ruined our lives. Someday those will all go away. And that's awesome, God. We look forward to that day. We really, really look forward to that day. And it gives us hope. But honestly, God, we need help today. We need your help today. We need your kingdom to come today in, in our heart. I know it's out there. We need to, it needs to come in, into our lives. We need you in our lives. You say you're going to make all things new. So Jesus, the first thing we need you to make new is our own hearts and our own spirits. Give us hope and give us courage to get up out of this room and go and live as people of hope. Fill in all that emptiness that, that, that was used to be filled with him or her or them or whatever. And they're gone. So we need you to fill up that part of our life. We need you to be our Alpha and our Omega. Omega. We need you to be the beginning and the end. We need you to be everything. We need you to hold us together. We need you to give us strength. We need forgiveness. We need to walk boldly up to you, our Father, and go, I need help. I'm going through a time of great need, and I don't know if I can do this one more day. To hear your response, I've got you. My grace is sufficient. I'm with you. You're not alone. I'm your God. You're my son. You're my daughter. We need, that's why you brought us into this room today. We need to be told from you that you care that you love us, that you'll take care of us. Because we live in a really dark, oppressive world. And someday it's going to be okay. But today we need you to walk through this with us. Like you promised. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.